middle. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this hot and steamy deliciousness called summer. Um, would you rise and join me in the invitation to worship printed in your bulletin? It says, the road is rough. The road is rough. And the hills are hard to climb. There's no doubt in my mind. The road is rough. And the hills are hard to climb. Says middle. The road is rough. 
for helping me spread those edges. Thanks, guys. Here we go. All right. Oh, my buddy. Summer, there is a spot for all of you up here. We have a really cool project, a really cool challenge I'm going to give you. It builds off of what you might have talked about. If you were here last week, Miss Sandrine talked about a story about loving a neighbor, about helping a neighbor. So who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Any ideas? God. Oh, okay. Ooh. I like that he's, answer. He's with you every day. Because God's with you every day. Ooh. Yeah. Is my neighbor someone that lives maybe in my building? Yeah. Is my neighbor someone that lives across the street? Yeah? Um, a neighbor could be someone that you go to church with. Okay. Could my neighbor even be someone like in a totally different place, not where I live? Like in another state or another country? Yeah? I'm getting some nods to that. Neighbors could be people you pass by every day or someone maybe you have never even seen but that you want to show love to and help. So I have a challenge for you. Maybe you're doing like a summer reading challenge with your library or your school. This is an I can love my neighbor bingo challenge, okay? I have a board for each of you. Miss Sarah's gonna pass it out. And maybe some of my readers could read a few of these squares so we have an example of what some of these challenges are. Hold the door open for people coming in behind you. Okay. Listen carefully to what other people say. Yes. Any other readers? Okay, another reader. Play with animals at an animal shelter. Yeah, one more. Say please and thank you. Right on. So there are, what's five, let's see, five times five is? 25. 25. There's 25 different challenges on here. The center one says create your own activity. But when you do one of these activities, a grown-up can help you read the sheet if you don't know what it says. When you do one of them, color it in. And when you get five in a row, I want you to bring this back to me and I have a prize for you to pick out, okay? So are you up for the I Can Love My Neighbor bingo challenge? Yes? Okay. There might even be some activities you can start today. And grown-ups, if you want to tag Middle Church as your young people participate in some of these, we'll share that in our Instagram feed. Let's say a prayer as we prepare to go out into our neighborhoods and beyond and share some love. 
You can repeat after me. Dear God, thank you that we can show love in big ways and small ways because you love us. Amen. All right, let's sing some Sia Humba. I'm ready for the challenge, friends. Well, good morning. How are you? Aren't you feeling cool and refreshed as the perspiration on your body evaporates in the room? Aren't you feeling good? Yes. I know you're not, but I just thought if we pretended to be cool, it would be helpful. Everybody take a deep breath. You are in a very nicely air-conditioned space. We are very lucky, very blessed, very fortunate, right? Amen? Amen. I'm glad to see you. My name is Jackie. If you don't know me, I'm the senior minister here. On behalf of our family, we're so glad you're in here with us today. Who's here for the very, very, very first time? Raise your hand. Keep your hand raised. Yay! So we can greet you. Awesome. Our ushers are going to come by and bring you a, a bingo card. No, are going to bring you a card that will help you stay in touch with us. Where are you from? You're from Intersections. Hello. I know that. They know. It's good to see you. Who's, who else is visiting? Raise your hand. Let me see you. Let me see you. Let me see you. Where are you from? Kentucky. Thank you for coming. Where are you from? Where are you from? Paris. I'm so glad you're here. Bienvenue. Where are you from? Germany. Yes. Wow. Awesome. Welcome. Where are you from? Brooklyn. Brooklyn and the home. <laughs> Where are you from? Denmark. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you so much. Where are you from? Where are you from? Riverside Church. Yeah. Up, upstate New York. <laughs> Welcome. Where are you from? My sister. New York. Thank you so much for coming. Did I miss anybody else? Where are you from? 18th Street. Oh my God. All the way from 18th Street. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Where? Where, baby? Okay, from Brooklyn, Spain. Bienvenue, Barcelona. Bienvenido, Barcelona. We're so glad you're here. Did I get everybody? I got Spain, I got Brooklyn. Okay. I just think it's amazing that you're here on summer vacation, friends who are visiting, the people who just escaped Brooklyn and 18th Street to come. We're so glad you're here with us. <laughs> 
We're delighted that you'd make this a, a summer location to be with us. So 10.30 until September 8th. On the 15th, we'll go back to two worship celebrations, 9.30 and 11.45. Um, we're so glad you're here. Uh, wave to the people that are online. Hello, people eating ice cream. Mm -hmm. We see you. Let me just tell you a couple of things that are happening. Um, we have today our moms and dads, some of our moms and dads with little ones are going to lunch with Reverend Amanda and I get to do my favorite thing, which is to babysit the babies with Marta and her team, so yay. So we're gonna throw your children around, it's gonna be beautiful, it's gonna be fun. And there are wonderful things that we're trying to do to this summer because we know playing is important too. We march for justice, but playing is important too. So look on the website and see Play Here or Summertime and Living is Easy. It's an obvious link, click it, and you'll find out all the ways you can connect, including going to the beach, a family picnic at Tompkins Square Park. Um, there's a major league soccer game. All of these things are so we can fellowship and get to know each other better and connect more deeply. So we hope that you'll do that. Um, I think I want to make sure that you know that the beautiful African-American woman on the pulpit is my colleague <laughs> and my friend, Julie Johnson Staples. <laughs> Julie is the senior minister at Intersections International. She is only the second minister to staff this beautiful ministry of the Collegiate Church. We helped scratch intersections out of our DNA, Middle Church. We were on the team that uh, made a plan to make a ministry that was going to be pulling people together at the intersections where they might not normally meet to do justice and art and life-changing, peacemaking work. So Julie's going to preach in the house today. We're excited. And there are intersection staff here. Please stand. Intersection staff. Yay! And our board members that serve on intersections are going to stand. And stay standing. And all of our board members are going to stand, because you don't know them well enough yet. Stand up, board members at Middle Church. Yeah, there you go. All right. They are ready to give you money and ice cream today. So just stop by and see them. I'm kidding. Um, at, ready to answer any questions you may have. Finally, there's a congregational meeting next Sunday. It is uh, Sunday right after worship. We're going to sit down, do it, and then we'll go munch. Really important. We're going to roll out the new budget. We're going to show you the new plan. We're going to talk about all the ways that lay people can get connected. We're going to answer any questions you have about prayer ministries and justice ministries and education ministries and staffing models. When you come, you get to have a voice. You get to ask, answer your questions. And what's beautiful about Middle is you don't have to be a member to come to the meeting. So just come to the meeting, okay? And sit, listen, hear, learn, love. Amen? Amen. All right. There's more to say, but that's enough. Can you take a breath with me? Our children are back from a beautiful trip in Puerto Rico. And all over the globe, children are in trouble. They are hungry. They are missing their parents. They are forced to live in conditions that they didn't choose because of economics and bias 
Some of them are in cages. Some of them can't even brush their teeth. Some of them are drinking from dirty bottles. Because not enough of us are living out the human demand to love. It's a human demand, not a Christian demand. It's not a Jewish demand. It's not a Muslim demand. It's a human demand to love our neighbor as ourselves, to see in the other something that's like us. So we're going to pray today for an increase in love. That when a Hindu leader is seen on the streets, he won't be violated, he won't be beat up. That there won't be chance of go home, go home, this isn't your place. That there won't be hatred and evil, but there'll be an increase in love. Will you pray that with me? Let's take a moment and connect with that feeling and then we'll pray. God, your most powerful name is love. We're told that you are love and those who live in love live in you and you live in them. This poetry to describe you who are mystery, ineffable beyond our imaginations. You are love. Oh, we can begin to feel that. You are love. You are love surrounding Gwen Carr, who lost her son five years ago, and whose murder seems not to be able to be accounted for. We pray for her and their family of Eric Garner. We pray Maybe God, that Officer Pantaleo will resign. We pray for courageous actions on behalf of our city officials to make justice roll down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. You are love, washing over those who are desperate and thirsty and hungry, washing over those who are mourning and lost. You are love. inciting riot and protest and uprisings. Catholics laying down in the Capitol Rotunda, standing up for immigrants. Folks going to the border next week, standing up for the homeless, the ones seeking asylum. You are love. Caring for those of us who've lost loved ones, parents, friends. Caring for Bertram and Jason as they walk hand in hand in their new marriage. Caring for those of us who 
miss our friends. You are love and you care about black lives and you care about brown lives and you care about poor people and you care about a globe on fire with violence. Increase our hearts with so much love, God, that we think your thoughts, we feel your feelings, we stand up for what you care about, that we are your instruments of peace, your hands, your feet, your heartbeat. And in these hot mess times and these oh too hot temperatures, give us also self-love, love for our bodies and our, our prayer lives, quiet time, laughter, leaping through water with our children. Holding our hands with our partners. Make love of you, God, love of neighbor, love of self, our religion. And religamate us, connect us with that love to you and to one another. We pray this, trusting that you can do more than we can ask or imagine through the power at work within us. Amen. Will you stand and pray some more with me? <laughs> pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Pray it the way you know it, the way you learned it, in your own language, or in the uh, version printed in the bulletin. Let us pray. Ever-loving and holy God, hallowed be your name. Your way be Lots of new people in the house. I know you want to see your buddies, but greet, greet the new neighbors first. Say hello, welcome them, extend them peace of God that passes understanding. Peace be with you, friends. Therese Johnson Gospel Choir. Yeah.
This is your band. We are uh, on hiatus after this uh, worship celebration, but we're coming back in September for some more. September 5th, what? Yes, and beautiful music planned throughout the summer, uh, but just so you can give a little extra love to the gospel choir when you see them, and just give them a hug and tell them thank you. shaking who gonna save the babies down at the border locked in cages I'm screaming mayday mayday they say they love me but they hate me for my skin color no justice for Eric Garner but you say I am your brother what But the power falls when you catch us on our knees. Heaven, please, we're in a state of emergency. I said, We need a strong God. I said, We need the real God. We need the God with the resurrection power from the grave to take away the hate and heal the human race. I said, We need a. We need a. We need a. We need a. They say the climate's changing, the poor people in the cold, but you keep preaching to their soul. But we won't leave till everybody's free. And what? And we won't leave till everybody Uh huh, uh huh. Until black lives matter. Uh, more than tax dollars matter. Come on, say it. We need a strong God. I said we 
400 years of slavery. Uh, no freedom without justice. Huh. So we're still in chains and we're screaming, made it, made it, made it, made it, made it, made it, made it. I said we need a God. I said we need a not the fake, but the God with the resurrection power from the grave to take away the hate and heal the human race. I said we need a we need a we need a we need a strong God. I said we need a we need a we need a strong God. Good morning, Middle. Today's selection from the Hebrew Bible is Amos 8, 1 through 12. This is what the Lord God showed me, a basket of summer fruit. He said, Amos, what do you see? I said, a basket of summer fruit. <laughs> then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people, Israel. I will never again pass them by. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, says the Lord God. The dead bodies shall be many, cast out in every place. Be silent. Hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for safe sale? We will make the ephah small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds Shall not the land terrible on this account, tremble on this account, and everyone mourn who lives in it, and all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about, 
and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. On that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning and all of your songs into lamentations. I will bring sackcloth on all loins and baldness on every head. I will make it like the mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. The time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Today's New Testament reading is taken from the 10th chapter of Luke's Gospel. I will be reading from the 38th through the 42nd verses from Hal Tossig and Celine Lilly's New New Testament translation. As they continued their journey, Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him to her house. She had a sister named Mary who seated herself at Adonai's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted by the many preparations that she was making. So she went up to Jesus and said, Adonai, do you approve of my sisters leaving me to make preparations alone? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, replied Adonai, you are anxious and trouble yourself about many things, but only a few are necessary, or rather one. Mary has chosen the good part, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Middle people, it is such an honor to be here today, and I honor the spirit of the living God for making that possible. But before I begin, will you join me in giving honor to a great woman of passion, of purpose, a builder of this congregation, and upon whose shoulders our greater collegiate church has wandered and waded into the middle. We are in the middle of this country because of this woman. We are in the middle of fast-moving rivers of descent because of your pastor. We are in the middle of movements, in the middle of the most urgent fights in the name of justice. I give honor to where honor is due, to the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Jeanette Lewis, my friend, my colleague, and my my rock star in senior ministry here at the Collegiate Church. And I am so happy to see her life partner, my former colleague, John Jenka. What a powerful beacon of light this couple is to our city 
and to our church and to the nation. God bless you both. Church, Collegiate is blessed at a time when churches cannot find pastors, when shepherds call it quits well under 10 years every day. What an honor it is to stand at this holy desk in the middle church where you folks have had corrected the conscience of our nation and our world for the last 15 years. So thank you for this invitation. And please allow me just a few moments of pastoral privilege to extend a personal welcome to our visitors. Thank you for coming out this morning to Middle, one of the five ministries of the Collegiate Church in the city of New York. And it is always heartwarming to see my Riverside family in the house. God bless you, Riverside Church in the city of New York. And God bless you to the Torah scholars who are here from the Stephen Weiss Free Synagogue, also on the Upper West Side of New York, not quite so Upper West Side as my Riverside family. And thank you, Intersection staff and our board members and all of the collegiate consistory who are here. I am blessed and humbled by your presence. You find welcoming, wonderful, praising people here. So those of you who are visiting, please come back. Now, please pray with me. God, your prophets remind us that you watch over your word and that it will not return to you void. Let us receive that word, not just for education or even for information, but for manifestation. Open eyes and hearts this morning, God, so that we might see and do what you call us to. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight on this day and beyond. Amen. Some folks would rather have houses and land. Some folks choose silver and gold. Those things are what they treasure, but they forget about their souls. They make a choice. So thank you, John, for opening our worship today with words written by a community choir director in Los Angeles named Harrison Johnson. It is a perfect segue into the blistering social critique by the prophet Amos. In 1972, when the words of our call to worship were written, it was a heady time in gospel music. In addition to Johnson's L.A. community choir, a, a small-time fellow named the Reverend James Cleveland <laughs> had founded the Southern California Community Choir. And before she was queen, crowned the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin first sang How I Got Over at L.A.'s New Temple Missionary Baptist Church, again in Los Angeles. She went on to record with Cleveland and his choir and produced Amazing Grace, which this year she was posthumously awarded the Pulitzer Prize. But if things were soaring in gospel music in 1972, it was a decidedly less heady time for people of color in Watts, Compton, and South Central Los Angeles. Black unemployment was high. The first public hospital was only just opening in the black community. And a grandson of slaves named Tom Bradley had not yet been elected when Johnson and his L.A. community choir looked heavenward for relief. God alone was the ultimate source of mercy who could help them bear the heavy loads of poverty, income inequality, and diminished hopes. This is precisely the stance taken in Danita's beautifully read Hebrew Bible text this morning. 
Amos's message is urgent, and his view is that time is short. All of these bad tidings are deployed through a series of visions in which God implores Amos by saying, what do you see? In this brief time I have with you this morning, I ask you to meditate with me on the theme, seeing and doing. What are we seeing and what are we doing about it? One problem with the Bible is that it can be nearly impossible sometimes to understand on face value or without doing a lot of digging and thinking, what is the text saying? In the Amos text, as my friend Peter Dichter, thank you for being here, friend Peter. I thought I was going to mention you in absentia. It's all downhill after that basket of summer fruit, he emailed me. <laughs> in one sense, he's right. Elsewhere in the Bible, summer fruit is well regarded. In 2 Samuel, summer fruit is a present given to kings and it's a provision for armies. In the book of Micah, we hunger for summer fruit during seasons of lack. In Jeremiah, summer fruit is gathered in abundance. But for Amos, the downhill slope actually starts with summer fruit, <clears throat> which he links with wailing and dead bodies while making a word play that you only get if you read Hebrew, suggesting that the end is near. Isn't it always thus with summer fruit? I invite you all to leave a peach or a slice of melon out on your unair conditioned counter this afternoon and see how that goes. Even lovely bowls of summer fruit can seem beautiful on top, but when you lift up a melon or lift up a banana or lift up a peach or lift up a plum, hidden beneath is a softness of coming rot or a flurry of fruit flies beneath. Do we know what it is we're seeing when we're looking at it? That's what God asks as well when in this fourth vision, God unambiguously asks Amos, what, sister preacher, do you see? God is asking us that today. What do we see? Seeing couldn't be more difficult than it is right now in these not-so-united states of America. The cacophony of so many voices filling our ears with social media, regular media, dying media, is such that the eyes almost reflexively squeeze shut. And then how's our seeing when it's not on the front page anymore? We're grateful especially at this time of year for each and every child who's able to make their way through institutions of higher learning. Yet at the end of 2018, the average student who was able to graduate from any American college or university came out with more than $33,000 worth of student loan debt. And that, and that number soars if you've gone to graduate school to about $85,000. Medical school, business school, $125,000 of student loan debt. And do we notice, do we see when those same students can't catch a break trying to borrow money to start a business? 
Can those students ever consider buying a home? What do we see with our eyes? In my neighborhood in Brooklyn, we see pride flags everywhere. In shops, selling pottery, selling coffee, selling tea. In exercise studios for strengthening, lengthening, and toning your muscles. They had a special pride heart shirt to go with everything they're doing in there that I never see. <laughs> mm. SLT pride, you go head on, okay. Marketers call this phenomenon the pink dollar, and they've put a price tag on it. $917 billion when measuring the purchasing power of the LGBTQ community. Thank you, Madison Avenue. We're proud for that acceptance, but do we see the work that still lies ahead of us to combat the embedded intolerance that's still lurking in these neighborhoods? Did we see it this year when one of our collegiate ministries displayed a pride flag emblazoned with a logo alongside two pride flags and that simple act unleashed a small tsunami of anonymous hate mail and voicemails? And meanwhile, in one of our close-in suburbs, do we see it when one of our church families lifts a pride flag in their own yard at the house they own and a neighbor deploys the privileged yet terrifying cloak of anonymity to drop an unsigned letter at their door, critiquing the wisdom of their legal right to fly the flag and also derisively questioning their patriotism in doing so. That's our family, and there's so much to see and so much to do. Our hearts are breaking and our anxieties soar around the country's brutal internment of migrating people and the coordinated ice raids that are targeting immigrant communities. Yet somehow under the radar, the leader of the nation's largest provider of migrant shelters for children was paid $3.6 million last year. What captures our attention and what escapes it? And in my precious Puerto Rico, Dios mío, Dios mío, Dios mío, yes, people have taken to the streets, and yes, the governor is scrambling, but is he really scrambling over the newly discovered trove of instant messaging chats? Or is the governor's real worry that scrutiny may be placed on organizations like Unidos por Puerto Rico, created by Puerto Rican First Lady Beatriz Roseo, his wife, who raised privately $38 million? Where is that money? Meanwhile, post-hurricane relief aid has slowed to a trickle. Our partners say aid from sources like that have evaporated altogether. And meanwhile, what's happening? The suicide rate continues to climb. Four different municipalities reported self-inflicted deaths just last week outside metropolitan San Juan. And yes, the American Red Cross is providing solar panels to 30 schools, and we want to applaud that. We see that, and we think that's great they're doing that. But nearly 300 schools have been closed and will never reopen. 
And I can't even put words to the level of crazy placed before us by our tweeting president's attack on four congresswomen. My eyes nearly popped from my head when I saw a CNN focus group earlier this week. And I never watch CNN, so I normally don't see it. But there was a focus group explaining and justifying the president's behavior. And so here's correspondent Randy Kay trying to keep a straight face, reading a dictionary definition of racist from the dictionary. And she asked eight women on camera, based on that definition, do you not think that what the president has been saying is, and she was cut off immediately by a woman, unfortunately named Gina O'Brien, a, a bleached blonde Dallas suburbanite who deadpanned, no, he dated a black woman for two years. <laughs> two of his wives are immigrants. He can't be a xenophobic racist. And I'm like, Gina, you need rebranding on the last name first, and then we'll work on what you understand when people marry somebody, okay? What are we seeing? What are we called to do? Or if we can dive into Marty's I Can Love My Neighbor Bingo Challenge, who are we listening to? Seeing and doing is at the heart of the New Testament's constantly misinterpreted story of Martha and Mary. Luke is the only gospel writer who recounts this episode. So I thank God for the incredibly gifted New Testament scholar, A.J. Levine, and for Bernadette Bruton, a sexual ethicist who has pioneered work on same-gender loving early Christian women. Both of them asked, answered my searing question, what am I seeing in this story? Because first, I, like most commentators, had tended to race, pay, race past Luke's notation that Jesus entered Martha's home. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we don't read the details. There's no mention of a man. Lazarus doesn't live here. It's an unmistakable echo, though, if we take time to see it, of Luke's statement two chapters earlier that wealthy women financed Jesus' ministry. That's Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, if you want to check it out before the talk back. Okay, so here's a woman who owns her own home, who's dependent upon no one, who's hosting a man. Secondly, I was surprised to learn that the many tasks that distract Martha have nothing whatsoever to do with pots, pans, or the kitchen. Okay? As much as I love Eugene Peterson's message translation, he even puts kitchen up in there. I almost read that translation today before I said, whoop, this is not what the Greek says. Indeed, the tasks to which Martha is attending is from the Greek word diakona. That's the same root from which our word deacon comes. And when that word is deployed elsewhere in Mark, in Acts, and in 2 Corinthians, it's discussing the works of ministry. So here's what stops now. This story isn't about one hardworking woman busting suds in the kitchen and a second slacker gal in the front choosing the better part by sitting contemplatively at Jesus' feet. Okay, that's not what that story is, okay? Okay, that, that story is not that. 
Ancient manuscripts also include this word, also, in verse 39. So that provides an alternate translation to even describe Martha. It should be, she had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. So both women apparently from time to time studied with Jesus and listened to him. John's gospel is familiar with this pair because in the 11th chapter of the gospel of John, we know it's Martha who goes to meet Jesus first to discuss the death of her brother. Mary turns up later, but it is Martha who declares knowledge of Jesus as the Messiah. In today's account, both of these women were seeing and doing. And without question, Martha presses Jesus to mobilize Mary, but to do what? To come to the next protest march? To community organize? To prepare for another service of worship? To go to another collegiate consistory committee meeting? The fifth that week? Just kidding. Bernadette Bruton's scholarship on women leaders in the ancient synagogue uses archaeological inscriptions to present irrefutable evidence that women at this time of this story were leaders, elders, mothers of the synagogue, and even priests. Just saying. Okay. They were active in administration and in exhortation, and they had knowledge of Torah. The inscriptions on tablets, fragments, and surveys and reviews of ancient synagogue ruins in Palestine suggest an active participation of women in Jewish religious life and in the work of the early church. So that moves me, I don't know about you, but from pitting Mary and Martha, but it moves us actually into more troubling contemporary territory, and that is this. Was it the hyper-functioning addiction to busyness or that familiar, I've got to do it myself or it won't get done, sense of self that crept into Martha's cosmology? Might that have been what Jesus was pointing to? Now, how many times have we chatted with a friend, a family member, not ourselves in the mirror, but who has simply stopped dreaming? somebody who's just maintaining because they're too busy to move on their vision. They're too busy to start their dream business. They're too busy to reach their personal goals. They're too busy to even catch their breath. Busyness is such omnipresent reality in our work and family life and even in our religious life. So much so that busyness has become a topic for scholarly research. Overwork, constant fatigue, lack of leisure, monkey mind, and inability to just stop and be is at all-time highs in the United States of America. While someone's making us great, they're also making us really tired. Similarly, that's the culture Amos critiqued in seeing that basket of summer fruit. 
It was a society of constant commerce and consumerism with a dollop or two of cheating, deceit, and false balances. I think we still have that. Amos condemns his contemporaries both for their words and their works. Incessant buying and selling trampled those in need and ruined the poor. That was in the 8th century BCE, but sadly, he's a prophet for our times today. God's urging Amos to see so that he might act. The New Testament story is also one of seeing and doing. Everyone in this little short paragraph is doing something. Martha is attending to the work of the diaconate. Mary is participating with others in the teachings of Jesus. Jesus doesn't tell Martha to stop working, but he delivers an equally urgent message. Middle people, we must take time to reflect, to stop, to consider, and to look at God. That is the better part of wisdom, and that's the only way we are going to effectively craft the next steps on our journey that's going to dismantle the systems of injustice we're fighting for. Is there something we need to see in all of our doing Who's assigned to do the listening? In all of our doing, are we bound by limited expectations? Limited just because we're too tired or limited because we don't see clearly or limited because the overdoing has in and of itself robbed us of joy, of hope, of abundance, of healing, of all of the things that we're to bring liberation to the captives in our toolkit. The justice that Amos calls for must first start with ourselves. Just as I was about to leave for church this morning, the business that never sleeps, Amazon, had, had deposited a new book at the front step. It's called Telling Histories, black women historians in the ivory tower. I randomly opened the book to a section called The Evidence of Things Not Seen, The Invisible History of Invisible Women. This particular book documents the ways that black women's history is still largely neglected. And I can share more about that at the talk back after the sermon. But here, beloved ones, Let's look at the stories of empowerment, possibility, and self-care when they are placed right before us. Martha is the head of a household. It's a statement of her wealth. Martha is demonstrating countercultural liberty such that she's hosting a man in her home. And by contrast, if you look at a story in the fourth book of Maccabees, there's an example of a woman who's the mother of seven martyrs who never receives a visit from a man, even in the presence of her parents. Both Mary and Martha are depicted in one way or the other as being disciples. And in the text, Jesus is called Adonai, Master, Lord. And it's Adonai who speaks with the precision about the risks we face when too many activities can derail visionary insight. So what are we seeing and doing? 
I'm saying to you this morning, I believe God is calling us to let go of our minds that are constantly active with thoughts and fears and worries. I urge you to let go of those things that don't serve you or don't serve our church or don't serve this world, like the feelings and sensations about what's constantly left to do, what can't get done, what's standing in our way unless we step into the middle of it. We serve a limitless God. So the lesson I take from Mary is not that she was doing nothing while Martha worked. Her teaching is that she knew what she needed to take care of herself, of her mind, her spirit, and her soul. She was doing and seeing the same thing, fixing her eyes upon God. Let it be so for us. Amen. Thank you so much, so, so much. Just want everyone to turn and look. We just um, exponentially grew our balcony. We have a group of 50 from France that have joined us. <laughs> so glad you all are here. My name is Amanda. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am a minister here at Middle Church, and I'm here to talk to you about why I love Middle Church which is an easy thing for me to do. One, because we get to hear wonderful, thought-provoking sermons like we did today, but also because these are, as Jackie says, hot mess times, and the world is what? On fire. And middle, we are people that care about that. We understand that the political is actually very, very personal, isn't it? And in the ways that we go to the streets and we go to the courtrooms and we go to the schoolrooms, that stuff fires me up in a good way. Does it fire you up? Good. But that's not why I really, really love middle. I love that a lot about middle. But I love middle because we don't stop there. In fact, we don't even start there. A mentor friend of mine in Cape Town was talking to me one day. And when I was visiting her, I said, how do you keep going? when you have so much to do that is so heavy, and when you're constantly faced with things that are set up to be against you. And she said, well, it's very quite simple, and it's very quite hard. You take care of your own heart first. And if you don't take care of your own heart first, then you're not gonna be able to take care of anybody or anything else. And that's what we're about here, Middle. We understand that we are called to transform the world, but we also understand that we are in the business of transforming ourselves. Myself, you, your neighbor, all of the people that are in here. We understand if we don't do that work, we're not gonna be able to do much else. We do that soul work, that healing the soul work in so many ways, every Tuesday, your staff gathers and prays. We pray for each of you. We pray for every single thing that's in the bulletin. All the things that you write on those green cards, we pray for. There's a group gathering today after worship upstairs to talk about how we strategize around prayer. That's kind of crazy, but it's that important because we understand that soul work is so, so important. 
We, in our larger mission statement, we say that we heal the world and we heal the soul. So when we talk about this movement of love and justice, we're also talking about a place where all of you, whoever you are as you come through the door, also means however you're feeling. Lonely, depressed, sad, in an unidentif unidentifiable funk. All of those feelings are also welcome here. And there are two ways that you can join this movement that cares about you, your heart, and cares about the world. One, you can join us. And that's as easy as coming to see me or Jackie or Marta or Elise or John or any of us on staff here, and we will let you fill out a form. And then we'll be in touch with you that says, congratulations, you're a member now. Here's how you can get in deeper. That's also true if you're watching us online. Natalie's online every Sunday as a way to care for your souls talking to you as our digital pastor. And she puts every Sunday in the comments, if you open it up on the live stream page, all the forms that you need. If you're not ready to join us as a member officially, you can also fund us. That's a very, very important way to join what we're doing, this transformation of hearts, minds, and the world. Thank you so much.
Let's pray. God, for this holy work of seeing and doing, we give you thanks. God, for the ways that we have responded to the Spirit's movement in this place today, by the ways that our hearts have been changed, by the things that we have put in, this baskets, in these baskets, by the things that we are thinking about, that we are going to leave this place to do, whether it be publicly or privately, we give you thanks, and we ask now that these gifts are multiplied in unimaginable ways to bring about love and justice, peace and transformation. Amen. Thank you to Reverend Julie for the beautiful sermon. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. And Gospel Choir, you are so faithful and beautiful and amazing. Thank you for this year, and we can't wait to see you in September. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you're in the balcony, sit down so all the people in the balcony can see. You guys, you're from France, all 50 of you? Ça va bien? All right. We're glad you're here. Hug me at the door. We have lunch in the social hall. Through this door, there'll be food. I don't know how to say that in French, but. What? Il y a de repas. Il y a de repas. Au revoir. 
Je vous j'ai la même chose. That's me. That's what I got. So yeah, that's good. Okay. And for everyone, I hope that you'll do that. And then there is a sermon talk back with Reverend Julie on the fourth floor. So come and produce some conversation around that sermon. I feel like every time we're giving a benediction, I'm saying goodbye to some of y'all because you're not going to come back till September or something. So if you're going away on vacation, blessings. Um, be safe out there amongst them English. Uh, do, <laughs> take good care of yourself. I know that was crazy, wasn't it? Was crazy. Uh, uh, be good to yourself. Enjoy yourself. Ask God to bless you and slow your heart down. So may God bless you and keep you. May God lift her face to shine upon you. May God lift up his countenance upon you and be absolutely gracious to you now and always. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. And then they hug each other. <laughs>